You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. This is the year that we choose a Florida Christmas as a theme, and it feels nothing like a typical Florida Christmas. Isn't that amazing? Yes, of course. Um, This feels a little too much like the Christmases I grew up with as a child up in Michigan. A little too much, but I will tell you this, it's still warmer here. It is still warmer here. And actually weather, meteorology has so little to do with the real Christmas and the first Christmas at all. No more to do with the first Christmas than uh, Frosty or Santa or Olaf or Rudolph, okay? I don't know where all of this stuff came from but we've kind of added all sorts of things to it. Um, And it's okay. It's great. I loved it as a child. It didn't hurt me to have all that stuff. Um, But we're looking at how the first Christmas uh, is a little more like the way it feels in Florida often than um, what we typically think of as the holiday season. And uh, one of my favorite Christmas carols, I think others have it, is um, In a bleak midwinter, frosty wind and cold. Now, the only problem with that song, it's great. I love the melody and the words toward the end, is we don't know it was bleak. We don't know if it was midwinter. And we doubt if there was frost, wind, or cold, Okay. In fact, from what we understand, you know, with the shepherds in the hills abiding in Luke chapter 2, most likely um, Jesus was born in the springtime because that's when the hills had green grass in Palestine. And um, so Florida's Christmas, okay, makes a little sense that it's usually warm and green and nice. Um, But why in the world did we pick if we didn't know when Jesus was born, why do we pick this time of the year? Probably one of the reasons, and I think that comes in this passage, it is the darkest time of the year in the Northern Hemisphere. And Isaiah chapter 9, the most famous of Isaiah's prophecies about the Messiah, talks about how in the midst of the darkness a light shines. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his, for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. One of the most famous passages in all of Isaiah, and there's so much in this section of Isaiah 9, we just can't get to it all tonight. But the one thing I want to mention is how we do it in Florida and how a lot of the United States does it. We do like to light it up, right? Light shining in darkness. And that probably is one of the few traditions that we have outside of the, you know, um, that really makes sense for the story and the message of Christmas. We are going to look up at how God lights up the darkness of this world. And tonight, we're going to do that by looking at these three uh, themes from Isaiah chapter 9, that the people walking in darkness, our first point, and then B, have seen a great light, and then finally C, to us, a child is born. People walking in darkness. Um, about a month ago, I think, Ashley, um, we talked with some of our college students on Wednesday night, and we asked, do you think we're living in a time that's filled with a lot of darkness? And almost all the college students, you could see their heads were nodding, and they said, yes, this is a dark time in our world. And there's a lot of darkness going around. Um, can you name anything yourselves? What are some of the things, would you agree with that? We're living in a time of quite a bit of darkness. And uh, what are some of those things that are dark in this world right now? Political Pardon? The political, the political atmosphere, I would call it pretty dark, yes. What else? Ukraine. Ukraine, Ukraine right now, the violence, the war, that makes no sense. Like, there's no, it's just ridiculous. Anything else? Times of darkness. Pardon? The traffic. The traffic. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I've seen many people running red lights. I haven't done it recently. Yeah. Um, now, there are some things that we might not want to talk about, but um, are part of the darkness. The last few years, we've seen a huge increase in the number of drug overdoses and deaths in the United States. In fact, I saw this week that we're having like 100,000 a year now. It's worse than ever before. And um, in addition to that, um, record high um, numbers of alcohol uh, drinking excess, 25% increase in just the last couple of years. Um, and right now, at this moment in time, in this message, you're probably going, John, what? Yeah, mental health. I would say right now, um, in adolescence, young adult, <laughs> mid midlife, mental health, it's just everywhere around. And we have seen um, the acting out on that in so many ways, right? And um, you might at this point in time say, John, lighten up, will you? Did you have something else? Or no? OK. Um, lighten up about this, because um, it's Christmas, we want some tinsel and glow and fun and excitement and magic. And what are you talking about all of this stuff? But I have a feeling that we need to know um, just how dark our times are in order to understand the message of how God's light shines in the darkness. 
The good news of Christmas is not that God adds a little light to an enlightened uh, world (laughs) or that he adds um, a bit more happiness to a happy-go-lucky people or enhance the high self-esteem people already have in this world or bring a little good cheer to people who already feel it. No, or fill up our lives with lives that are already full of stuff. That is not the message of Christmas. It's the fact that the gospel is not an add-on. It is not a supplement. It is not um, something to enhance. It is that light shines in the darkness. Is joy is brought to the midst of gloom. It's that the burden is lifted. The prisoners are released. Those are the words of the prophets. It's that guilt is removed and peace is brought to a world that doesn't have it. And I would be abandoning my role as a pastor if I simply ignored the realities of what our world is like. We don't want to just say, well, you know, it's a little gray and a little dreary here, but man, over there, it's a lot worse. It's easy to do that. I think Frederick Buchner uh, put it well when he wrote this, unless those who proclaim the gospel acknowledge honestly that darkness, they might as well save their breath for all the lasting difference their proclaiming will make to anybody. So especially for those who might be feeling a bit of the darkness now, either because they've experienced themselves, they have a dark uh, darkness around them and their family and their uh, past in um, just feeling dark and down because of this world is not in a great place. Christmas is especially for that. That's exactly why Jesus came into this world. Either Jesus Christ and the gospel of Christmas brings light into the darkness or it means nothing at all. And the gospel is not that the darkness was just a little you know, gloom or a little lack of joy. Darkness is a little deeper than that. The darkness that Jesus entered this world in <laughs> so vulnerably on that first Christmas. I think Paul Tillich said it well. He said it this way, the darkness into which the light of Christmas shines is above all the darkness of death, the threat of death, which shadows a whole road of our life, is the dark background of the advent expectation of mankind. We are slaves of fear, not because we have to die, but because we deserve to die. Ever since Adam and Eve, according to um, the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, ate that forbidden fruit and basically wanted their lives on their own, cutting off the supply of love and life themselves from God, ever since then we've realized, yeah, I don't deserve the good that I get. In fact, I deserve a death sentence for the way I've been. And it is precisely to people who are walking in darkness. Now, what's interesting is if you know any um, kind of the geography when, of, of Palestine and of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel where Zebulun and Naphtali were, the kingdom of Samaria as it's called, or northern Israel, was probably of the two kingdoms after David and Solomon, the kingdom split in half. There was kind of almost like a civil war. But the kingdom of the north 
just went down a bad road. It was filled with idolatry and immorality and licentious. You name it, it was just bad news from the beginning to the end, and it didn't last that long. And by 722 BC, it's destroyed by Assyria. And yet Isaiah, who is from the southern kingdom, shares in this passage that it, that's exactly where God is going to place his headquarters and bring the light where it's the darkest. Isn't that fascinating? And that's our second point, that they have seen a great light. It would have surprised anyone of not only um, the first century when Jesus was born, but for the centuries before, that of all places, Zebulun and Naphtali, are you kidding me? Galilee of the Gentiles, that was the boonies. I mean... We think LaBelle is the boonies. No, this is the boonies. This is in the middle of nowhere. You know, there's always been a pecking order in the world. And at the time of Jesus' birth, Rome was the center of it all, right? And then a few of the imperial cities around the Roman Empire. Of all the provinces, Palestine, Israel, was probably Judea, was about as low as you could go. But even within Judea, there was a pecking order among the religious elites. If you're going to live anywhere, if you're going to be anywhere, if you're going to do anything, you wanted to be in Jerusalem. It's the city of David. It's where the temple was. It's where the priesthood was. It's the center of the known world, according to them. But no, Isaiah doesn't say that's where it is. That's not where God's going to do his great work. It is going to be in Galilee of the Gentiles, a place during the first century that the rabbis and the Pharisees despaired of ever getting anything together because these people were just ridiculous. They just didn't have any clue as to what was going on. And yet, when Jesus is born... He's not born in Jerusalem. He's not born in a palace. He's not born to a priestly family. He's not born to the middle class, but the poorest of the poor. And he is born and placed in a manger, not a maternity ward, and then ends up in a sh short time as a refugee in a foreign country, Egypt. No border policies in those days, I guess. And then he comes back. They don't settle in Jerusalem, nor Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary end up in a little town of a couple hundred people, Nazareth. And Jesus spent almost an entire public ministry and almost all of his life in the area of Galilee. And that's where they have seen a great light. It's amazing that God would choose none of the marks of greatness as far as the world is concerned. And yet, through the poverty of his life, he brings the wealth of God's goodness to this world. In his own weakness and vulnerability, he shows God's strength. In the darkness, Jesus is that light. And Naphtali, Zebulun, Galilee didn't deserve it, but that's what God does. So a light shines where it's most needed. In the darkest, gloomiest place, Isaiah promises God is going to do his greatest move. It is there to us. A child is born and a son is given.
our third point. Now, we don't have time to go through this section of the uh, passage as much as probably would, <laughs> would be important. But let's summarize up. There's four titles that are given to this child, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Two of those, the two on the outside, imply that this person must be divine in some way. And the two in the middle, Mighty God and Everlasting Father, <laughs> it's impossible without believing Isaiah is talking about someone who's going to be God himself. This is 700 years before Jesus is born, and yet that's the most amazing thing, that there is going to be a child who is born, a son who is given, who is fully God and fully human at the same time. This is the most radical thing that has never been spoken of in any other world religion or any other um, philosophy that's ever been known. Christianity proclaims something here that, of course, is miraculous, but it's such filled with hope that God would choose to come as a little child, totally vulnerable, totally exposed to our world, and to actually experience it as a human being. Christianity proclaims that we've got a God who actually suffers, who feels the pain and agony and the exposure that this world has and faces the violence and the contradictions and the conflict and even faces his own temptation. That's what Christianity says. There's world religions that talk about God showing up and appearing in this form or that form, here and there, popping in, popping out, but never staying and never always above the sufferings of this world, just kind of pointing the way out, but not our God. Now, there's a few implications. If, if what Isaiah is saying and what Jesus is, that he is fully God and fully human, there's a three implications I want to share with you quickly about what that means for you this Christmas. The first is you can't just like him, Okay? Uh, John Stott, in his uh, book on, base, I think it was uh, Basic Christianity, he stated that the Gospels, what you find out is every encounter that Jesus has with crowds or people in the Gospels, there are only three different reactions that come across. The first is that they hate him. His own town, Nazareth, they wanted to throw him off the cliff because they didn't like what he said. Um, they, um, you know, wanted to kill him or... There were others who just walked away. They were scared of him. When he cast out the demon uh, from Legion in the Decapolis, the crowd actually said, go away. We don't want you here. And the third response is to fall down and worship. Those are the only three responses. You never get anyone in the Gospels coming up to Jesus and saying, you know, that sounds so nice. I like the way you say that. He doesn't get that. You cannot like Jesus. You don't get to like him on Facebook or you know, message him here and there and say some nice things about him. He's either crazy, demonic, or he is who he says he is, Lord. N.T. Wright puts it this way. 
about Christmas. How can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human, that the fire has become flesh, that life, capital L itself, has walked into our midst? Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It is the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality in the world, or it's a sham, a total nonsense. Most people unable to cope with either, saying either of those two things are condemned to live in the shallow world in between. And nobody gets to really do that with Jesus. Are you going to welcome this child who grows up to be your savior, or are you going to say, you know, this is just not worth it? Makes no sense. This is crazy. Nobody should be following this guy. You don't get to like him. But secondly, if Jesus is fully human, if he is God in the flesh, if he experiences everything we do as one of us, then you've got a God who understands you. And that's probably the most important part of this message tonight about the light shines in the darkness. The darkness does not overtake it. Jesus Christ is one who understands the darkness of your life because he steps right into it. He is a God who suffers, who experiences everything but without sin, as Hebrews says it. Because we've got at least a God who cares enough to get involved. Dorothy Sayer is a British author and of detective stories, put it this way as a Christian. She says, the incarnation... That is, Jesus coming in to be human. That it means, for whatever reason, God chose to let us fall into a condition of being limited, to suffer, to be subject to the sorrows and death. He has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and the lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain all for us and thought it well worth his while. Absolutely worth his while to come to be with you. Jesus didn't come in strength <laughs> with a battalion behind him. He didn't come to bring about his reign and rule like a Caesar or King Herod with force and coercion. He comes in weakness, in meekness, as a child, in humility, to sacrifice himself for us. I mean, what would happen if Jesus would have come with the full um, omnipotence of God and used it for himself to get his way in this world, to destroy evil wherever he saw it? I know what would happen to me. <laughs> Just think about that. He wants to get rid of all evil and egotism and narcissism and all the lies and distortions and selfishness this world has, guess who goes with that? But he didn't come to mete out the punishment. He came to face it himself. I think that's why when Martin Luther King, who brought, um, talked about nonviolence in this world, is the only way really forward. 
I think that's why he talked about and said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And Jesus is the one who came in love to be the light, to serve, and to give. But the third point is this. You not only have a God who understands and a God who suffers and takes your place, but you have to receive this child as a gift. Some, t- some gifts are kind of hard to receive. You go like, what? I have no problem receiving gifts all the time. Really? How many of us, I mean, let's be honest, how many of you kind of struggle at receiving a gift that um, you don't feel like you deserve? You're good at giving gifts to others, but not at receiving it. Well, you're not in control when you're receiving a gift. And there are some gifts that maybe if they were given to me, I wouldn't necessarily you know, go like, oh, wow, thanks, because of what the gift says. For instance, if for some reason somebody decided to give me you know, soap, shampoo, and deodorant, <laughs> what are you telling me? And when Jesus gives me his life, what are you telling me? This gift is one. This child, the son that is given to us, is such a gift that it's, there's a lot of pride that has to be swallowed. I, can't, I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't solve the riddle. I can't meet God halfway. I couldn't even meet him a quarter. I can't meet. He has to meet me where I am in my darkness. I quoted Friedrich Buchner before, and I think um, he has something to say about this as well. Part of the inner world of everyone is this sense of emptiness, unease, incompleteness. And I believe that this in itself is a word from God, that this is the sound that God's voice makes in a world that has explained him away. In such a world, I suspect that maybe God speaks to us most clearly through his silence, his absence, so that we know him best through our missing him. I think that uh, speaks to the dark time that we live in, a time where we've kind of explained God out of the picture, And now we're facing our own depression and anxiety and health issues, our own violence, (laughs) technology taking over our lives and feeling like our lives are less, seeing how people have tried other and avoided so many things. But the answer is, to us, a child is born, and to us, a son is given. That's why one of my favorite Christmas carols, not the melody as much as the words, although in a bleak midwinter you can't get much better, but um, is O Little Town of Bethlehem. And the verse that says, how silently, how silently, the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. You came into the darkness.
and your light shines. And though the darkness snuffed you out at Calvary, it did not overcome you forever, but your light still shines. Lord, you know the darkness in our lives right now. You know how easy it is for us to think that we don't need you or don't, well, we, how we want to be in control of our own lives, Lord, whether it's rationally thinking things through and figuring it all out, Lord, or planning it all, or working hard to give what we want, Lord. Well, what we need more than anything is you. The gift we need this Christmas is simply you. You know the darkness that this world is, is in right now, Lord. Maybe darker in some ways than any other time that we can recall. And yet, Lord, we know your light can shine in this darkness. And the darkness will not overcome it. We know that one day your light will shine so bright that there will be no need for sun or moon or stars of the sky, but you, God, will be the light and the Lamb will be at the center of the throne and we will be with you forever, Lord. We thank you for that revelation, that vision at the end of the New Testament. And we know that's the purpose and direction, that you came to be with us, to be at home with us, to be one with us. And that's your end goal, Lord, to just be with us and us to be with you, renewed, forgiven, restored, reconciled, at peace. Thank you for the words of Isaiah, who lived in a very dark time. And thank you, Lord, for the answers in a dark time of the first century that Jesus lived and in a dark time like we are in that you light it up now. We pray, Lord, that we might be the light to those around us. We know people who are facing very difficult uh, situations with anxiety and depression and mental health. We know, Lord, that people are searching for so many things in so many different ways. And the emptiness and the void that they feel can only be filled by you. So come to us, Lord. We are the people that were walking in darkness, but now your light has shone. And O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin, enter in, be born in us today. All this we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.